on the subject of sex. So we're going to be talking about sex, sexual temptation, sexual sin, consequences that are kind of described out here in Proverbs 5, 6, and 7. And we're, we're not just like looking for what, but I like what um, one pastor shared recently. Christianity um, isn't, true, uh, isn't true because it's relevant, but it's relevant because it's true. And so if God's word for us today is true on this subject in our life and faith, then it should be very relevant for us today in this room, in our city, in our culture. So if you do go to your Bibles, whether um, on the pages or in your phones, we're going to be looking at chapters 5, 6, and 7 in the Proverbs, which contain three father-son sex talks. So it's a father, the voice of a father talking with his son. But you know, these could be mother-daughter, these could be parent-child talks. The principle of wisdom applies to all of us, but primarily this is um, kind of the, the subject that we're looking at in, in that context. But they contain uh, wisdom, such wisdom in this area of our life, these three chapters, that really it's foolish not to talk about. And I think that some of us, whether that's in our culture, in our church, or in our lives, we we've tended to err on the side of not talking enough about these subjects, but they really are that important for us to, to address and to just plumb the depths of what God has for us, the way He's made us and the way that He's designed for us to um, delight in Him. So um, that's why these three uh, paternal appeals, that's uh, these father-son sex talks, were written in the Proverbs for families to follow God. Right? And for, these were written for the church throughout history and for us today. Um, and so this is kind of like a mature content warning, but not in a bad way, not like don't engage, but to, yes, engage. This is content for us as a family discussion. So it is very relevant to all of us. It's something good for us to talk about. I would put it this way. Sex is so good that it needs wisdom. It needs, sometimes wisdom comes in the form of warnings. If you read chapters 5, 6, and 7, the majority of the passage is all kinds of warnings. Just the example that Nate read already, we can see there's all kinds of warnings around the forbidden woman and the consequences around these things. Um, so sex is so good that it needs wisdom. It's like riding a motorcycle. Riding a motorcycle is so good that it needs warnings, right? You can't just get on and go too fast and pull some tricks to impress your friends and you'll face the consequences either by the police or the pavement, right? It's such a thing that it requires warnings to enjoy it to the maximum in the intended design. Um, so sex is like this too. The wisdom that we see in these scriptures is like taking a highlighter and just circling and underlining the beauty that there is to be appreciated. Um, but the warnings that we see throughout these passages, also kind of takes that highlighter and, and is highlighting the reality that there's also dangers. So we don't want to deny either one, that this is a beautiful and a dangerous kind of landscape um, because there's such beauty and such power that we see in the scriptures here. So I'll use throughout this sermon kind of this example of mountain climbing. When you're out exploring the beautiful, dangerous landscape of the mountains, where do you want to stay? You want to stay on the trail. It's like coming into the door today. If you came from the front, you have to find the trail and avoid the dangers in order to arrive at our destination, right? But it's tempting 
to want to get on the, es- the uh, excavator and put the key in the ignition and have some fun. But, you know, there's some wisdom in staying on the trail ahead. Um, that's where true freedom is found, is what this father in the Proverbs is saying, that there's such freedom and joy on the trail that God has designed before us. Um, but there are real temptations, and we don't deny that. There are real temptations uh, around the subject of sex. And while the world is probably more saturated with such temptations today than I would say ever before, uh, it seems like that of, for, for sure, but our heart has not changed. Ever since the way that God created us and designed us in his image, our heart is still programmed the same to find our joy in him and to follow him throughout time. And our hope remains that God's unchanging word, this word never changes, is always relevant to our ever-changing culture. Even though the, the things change in our culture, uh, such as temptations in these areas, um, they are still, the scripture is still relevant for us today. Um, but even more, we will see that our greatest hope comes not from the written word of wisdom for us to follow, but the incarnate word of wisdom for us to follow. And that's where we're going to look at what, how the gospel changes our view of this whole subject and redeems um, sex for us um, through redemption in Jesus Christ. So to help us out, I've come up with some slides. We're going to go through some points, about four points on why we should follow God's wisdom for good sex, the way that he's designed us to enjoy him. You can put those up, Andy. Second point is going to be why we don't follow God's wisdom for good sex. And then we'll look at how the gospel redeems us from sexual temptation and from sexual sin. And that gospel redemption frees us to follow God's wisdom for good sex like we were intended for. So this God's wisdom for good sex. And the first part we're going to look at is um, that we should follow God's wisdom for good sex. We should follow God's wisdom here. Uh, and I'm, I'm, t- I'm saying that in the terms of what is God's intended design for our good and his glory, right? Um, um, and we understand sex is not just a physical act, but it's a physical, emotional, spiritual relationship, committed relationship between a man and a woman in marriage. So I'm just going to define it in those terms as we get started. And this is also a great opportunity to springboard into other personal conversations in your families, in your relationships, and with your pastors, because we know these are complex situations that is part of our human life. And so first point we're going to be looking at is God's wisdom for sex. Using that illustration of mountain climbing, this is the beautiful landscape that we were made to enjoy. Um, it's, it's written explicitly right here in what Nate read for us in Proverbs 5, verses 18 and 19. The writer says, Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth, a lovely deer, a graceful doe. Let her breasts fill you at all times with delight, be intoxicated, always in her love. So we see just from this passage, it's defined right for us here in God's Word, that um, in marriage we see beautiful, intimate, powerful, emotional and physical relationship between a man and a woman that endures through life. He's telling his son to enjoy the wife from your youth throughout your life in all these ways. 
It's a beautiful and powerful thing. So God's word is telling us this is a beautiful thing to enjoy. And our culture agrees. Uh, Our human experience would agree with this. You tune into the radio and a lot of times you're going to be hearing uh, the cultural interpretation of these kinds of things. John Mayer says your body is a wonderland. Well, that's not original. This is written clearly for us in the Proverbs. Uh, Fergie Ferg has some things to say. On it sounds like, sounds like she read Proverbs five nineteen. Be intoxicated always in her love. And I'm not going to quote those lyrics, but you know the culture understands. But the Bible wrote it first. But we understand God's word and our human experience agree um, that sex is a good thing. It's a beautiful thing, and it's a powerful thing. Um, but it implies it throughout these proverbs, not just explicitly like that but implicitly all, because the majority of Proverbs 5 and 6 and 7, when you read these, are warnings. Um, warnings to, about what happens when you don't stay in your marriage, basically. And all of those warnings, even though they kind of outweigh these couple verses on the beauty of sex and marriage, well, it implies that this thing is worth protecting. It's, um, it's implying that, you know, not going to prostitution and adultery avoiding sexual temptation and sin implies that this aspect of life is, one, beautiful, and two, powerful. And so it's worth noticing this reality, um, this pleasure and intimacy that God designed for us to enjoy together in marriage. It's not an accident. It's not something he regrets creating. It's actually what he intended for us to enjoy. Um, and, and that's exactly why the Proverbs describe this thing as beautiful, as intoxicating, because we're meant to be passionate for our spouse. And so that's, that's a great word of wisdom from, from God's word. And the wisdom that we see here, because this, this series is all about wisdom. The Proverbs is wisdom literature from the scriptures. Um, that wisdom, like I said, it's a highlighter showing us the beauty, showing us where to find that beauty that we were made to enjoy. Um, and each chapter of Proverbs 5, 6, and 7 starts with this appeal to pay attention, to listen to me, give me your ear. He says, my son, be attentive to my wisdom, incline your ear to my understanding, that you may keep discretion, that you may guard knowledge, uh, do not depart from the words of my mouth, keep your father's commandments, forsake not your mother's teaching, bind them on your heart, tie them around your neck, they will lead you. They will watch over you. They will talk with you. The commandment is a lamp. And the teachings of discipline are the way of life. He says again in chapter 7, keep my words, treasure up my commandments, um, keep my commandments and live. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Uh, Be attentive to the words of my mouth. So there's this, these chapters are saturated with this call to wisdom. Pay attention, pay attention, pay attention. This is an important part of your life. It's an important part of our faith. And so he repeats that over and over. He's, it's the sentiment that if you value your life, listen to my words. As, as a parent, I know there's all kinds of parental proverbs that I come up with to keep my kids alive and enjoying life, right? I tell my three-year-old, don't run across the street because you'll get squished like a pancake. And so now he thinks of pancakes when he's crossing the street. He's like, cross the street, squish like a pancake. It's like a proverb. 
It's these short phrases that have a lot of imagery for us to like memorize and understand. So these are telling us, if you value your life, listen to these words. And this is an important subject in life for us to be listening to. Otherwise, we, we end up with regrets. It's written right here also in, in chapter 5. Verses 12 to 13 give us that voice of regret. How I hated discipline. My heart despised reproof. I didn't listen to the voice of my teachers or incline my ear to my instructors. Have you ever experienced that when, when we've ignored the warnings, faced the consequences, had that feeling of regret? I know some of us have. So, yes, the importance of wisdom highlights the reality of the beauty, um, that this is like a beautiful trail designed for us to enjoy in, in true freedom in God's design for our good and His glory. This is that first point on why we should listen to God's wisdom for sex, the way He's created for us to experience by His wisdom. But as much as they highlight that wisdom to listen up and pay attention and enjoy your spouse, they also contrast this by describing the myriad consequences of folly. When we look at wisdom, the opposite of wisdom is folly. It's foolish. And so the majority of this text is all about the, the importance of the warnings highlighting the reality of the danger. Okay, for sure, the reality of the beauty is there. We all acknowledge that, but the reality of the danger is equally present. Like mountain climbing, it's a beautiful landscape, but it's a dangerous landscape. There's wisdom required to not fall off, basically. Um, and, you know, God's Word and our human experience, just like I said, we agree on the reality of the beauty of, of sex, and our, um, but also we agree that there are some cautions. This is clearly written in the Scripture and represented in our culture. Proverbs 5 uh, says, The lips of a forbidden woman drip honey, but in the end she's bitter as wormwood. Her speech is smoother than oil, but she's sharp as a two-edged sword. So the beauty and the danger are there. Um, we see this in our culture. Listening again to some of the lyrics of our uh, time. Johnny Cash, love this song. He says, love is a burning thing and it makes a fiery ring. Bound by wild desire, I fell into a ring of fire. I went down, down, down and the flames went higher, right? But I love these lines from classic rock duo Hall & Oates. He says, I wouldn't if I were you. I know what she can do. She's deadly, man, and she could really rip your world apart. The beauty is there, but a beast is in the heart. And so we understand that there are dangers in this complexities of relationship at such a deep and intimate level and committed level that there's, there's pain, there's danger, there's consequences and heartache. So that's why the Proverbs speak so much of such consequences um, saying, her speech is smooth than oil, but bitter as wormwood. It's like this toxic poison. Lips drip with honey, but she's sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Those who go to her give their honor to others. Years to the merciless. Strangers take your strength. Your labors go to the foreigners. You groan with pain and regret. Ruin and shame held fast in the cords of sin. Dying for lack of discipline. Led astray, captured, burnt. Punished, dishonored, disgraced, persuaded, and compelled. These are all the descriptions throughout Proverbs 5, 6, and 7 when we go off of God's intended design for love within marriage. And he says, 
We're led like an ox to the slaughter, like a stag caught fast, like a bird in a snare. Essentially, what promised life delivered death. That's what ended up happening. What seemed like freedom was really a trap. So while God's word and even our own cultural understanding agrees, yes, these are real. This is uh, the reality of our sexual nature. And it's a beautiful world out there, and it's a dangerous world out there. These conversations in Proverbs give us the wisdom and the warnings that we need to thrive and live in God's great design for His glory and our good. To avoid the pain and regret from sexual temptation and sin. So we should, we should follow God's wisdom for good sex. We should, when we think about this, whether you're married now and stewarding that gift or you will be married one day, and we need to preserve that good gift intended by Him. Um, whatever He has called us to, we should agree that we should follow God's wisdom for life in this area. Right? We, we want an abundant life. We want the pleasures and joy that's described right here, designed for us. We don't want the pain and regret. We don't want the consequences that we're reading about here. I hope we're all on the same page that yes, this is a good thing, but it's a dangerous thing. Um, but we should want to follow God's wisdom. And actually, while, while we should want kind of selfishly to follow God's wisdom because there's so many blessings for us, it's not just written out for our good. It's ultimately given to reflect God's glory. All the wisdom here in this area of life, the way He's made you in His image and likeness, is meant to radiate His glory to the world and on Himself. That uh, ultimately, he, He's made this for Him, right? And the two go hand in hand. The two things of His glory and our good. It's not like He gets glory by depriving our good, but He's actually glorified most when we enjoy Him most. And for such an important subject in life, this is one important area of our faith as well. Um, reminds me how God commanded Adam and Eve to be fruitful and multiply and to go and reproduce, enjoy each other, enjoy uh, this design. Um, but there was a consequence, right? But you can go and enjoy everything. Go be fruitful and multiply and eat from any tree that you want except for this one. And there's a consequence. If you eat from it, you will die. Well, why should Adam and Eve have obeyed God's command? Is it for fear of the consequence or is it for love of the Creator? Right? But sometimes we are prone to reading these kinds of consequences and just out of self-preservation, do the, do the right thing to avoid the consequence or do the right thing for my own good. But it's really out of the depth of our love for God, for our Creator, that we can steward this area of our life with passion and joy. So as it's written out here, those appeals to wisdom, we, we, should, we should take these truths. We should take the truth of these words, tie them around your neck, write them on your heart, memorize them, guard them, speak them, tattoo them on your hand, all the ways it's saying to, to take this and never let go. That is what we should do. And you can go to the next slide, Andy. But we don't follow God's wisdom for good sex. Right? We should. And we all agree that it's the best design laid out for us if we are to enjoy the blessings described here and avoid the consequences described here. But the problem is, just like Adam and Eve, uh, when they were tempted right in that garden, we have that same 
sinful nature too that is so prone to want and lust after that forbidden fruit, right? And, and it's in every area of life. But for sure, it's also in this area of life too. Since sex is such a beautiful and powerful area of God's design, then here's how sin works. Sin is like a parasite that exists only because such goodness exists. Uh, God created sex as a good thing, right? Sex isn't a sin. Sex isn't bad. But sin takes that good thing and it exists in that. So it uh, only exists to detract from and deprive from the good thing that God made. So while sex is beautiful, sin takes that tr- the reality of that beauty, turns it into temptation. And while sex is a powerful thing, you're meant to be intoxicated within your uh, marriage, well, sin takes that same capacity and to that very level uses that power not in a freeing and liberating sense, but in a captivating and addictive sense, not within marriage, but without, with outside of marriage, that power loses control. And so, um, rather than being content to enjoy the glory of the landscape from the beauty of the trail, you and I are tempted in sin to veer off and to explore thinking there, there must be some other beauty and power outside of this. It's just this craving inside of us. Uh, or we see ourselves as immune to the dangers that we've heard. Or we start to see the wisdom and the warnings, right, that tell us the realities of uh, the beauty and power of sex. We start to see these wisdom and warnings as restrictions to our freedom rather than guides to our freedom. So we need to take an honest look at sin and what sin has done impacting our world and our lives in the area of sex that God has designed. While I was thinking about this, I came across a story. You can put up the next slide. Um, there was this man, uh, Aaron Ralston. Maybe you've seen the movie 127 Hours. Well, Aaron Ralston was 27 years old. He was hiking in the canyons of Utah, expl- enjoying the freedom of the mountains and the, and the canyons. Right? He was meeting hikers. He was leaping over ravines. He was uh, bouldering up uh, vertical rock cliffs. And you could say for Aaron, beauty and freedom was found off the trail. It's like, well, that trail's boring. Let me explore these cliffs. Um, and, and yes, there is freedom to enjoy out there, right? Except on this day, Aaron discovered the dangers of the landscape when a boulder became dislodged and it pinned him between two rock walls 65 feet down a ravine. And he was not a beginner. He was an avid outdoorsman. He felt comfortable off the grid probably thought he was above the ability to make such a mistake. Like, that only happens to beginners, right? To add to the problem, the first rule, uh, if you're going off the grid, you should always tell someone where you're going to be hiking. And what didn't Aaron do that day? He didn't tell someone where he was going to be hiking. Aaron discovered, you could say, that freedom is not the absence of rules, but that the rules of the trail are actually designed for the good and well-being of our life. Right? And like Adam and Eve, we, we take matters into our own hands and we experience such consequences of a fallen world where our own lives and our own world um, contain these consequences. Well, Robert P. George, Princeton University, puts it this way. 
He says true freedom, the freedom that liberates, is grounded in truth. He says a person who scoffs at truth and chooses to live in defiance of the moral law is not free. He is simply a different kind of slave. So one bold statement I'm going to make today is that these words are true. It's true that God's design for our good and his glory is within a committed relationship in marriage between a man and a woman. We get to enjoy all the blessings of, of the sex as he's designed in that context. Um, now, I know that's not what our city, culture, and world tend to believe, um, but I've got to say that true freedom, the freedom that liberates, is grounded in truth. And that Christianity, like I said at the beginning, is not true because it's relevant. And let's see how relevant we can be in order to become true. But it's, it's relevant because it's true, right? And so um, we all, like Aaron, are kind of fallen and lost in our own world apart from God. And so when we're looking at these Proverbs, we're looking at the subject of sex and the way that they describe it here, you can see they describe the, the sexual temptation and, and sins in a certain way um, outside of marriage. So these father-son sex talks describe temptation as the forbidden woman, the adulteress, the evil woman, or the prostitute, if you were to read through these. But I got to clarify, it's not just about women. It's not just like some uh, chauvinistic man in a patriarchal era wrote this about women and how their life would be easier if they weren't so tempting. It's not that, you know, right, women have temptations too. Men um, have, are, are tempting as well. It's these kinds of things um, can be interchanging and meant, the principle of the wisdom is meant to apply to your own context, right? Um, but yes, it's described mostly as the forbidden woman, that was the primary context of the day and described mostly as um, adultery and prostitution. So I'm just going to bring some of these terms out for us today because it's written here in God's Word and is still relevant for us today. Proverbs 6.26, if you go there, describes these things. What's he say? Um, the price of a prostitute is only a loaf of bread, but a married woman hunts down a precious life. That summarizes kind of the two big warnings of uh, and temptations of the day. Describes the prostitution as uh, to go outside of God's intended design for marriage for a prostitute. All right, this is an unmarried woman. This is like you can afford an hour of her time with the price of a meal. Um, but he says adultery, now that is going outside of your marriage into another marriage, taking a married woman. Okay, that's far more costly. She will cost your entire life. That's in these two Proverbs kind of summarizes the main temptations of that time was adultery and prostitution. But it's still relevant today, right? Sometimes uh, it's easy to read these and be like, well, that's not something that we face much. I don't, um, but no, it is still relevant today that we heed these warnings, right? Not to engage in emotional or physical temptation and sexual sin with neighbors, strangers, coworkers, friends, that God's design for our good and His glory is within the committed relationship of marriage, right? And these are still relevant temptations today in many ways. And the Proverbs tell us that no one who does this gets away with it. Right? So we should not pursue sexual temptation outside of marriage. Wisdom helps us 
preserve the beauty of marriage. And it's still relevant today in different ways. Now, that's, that's where they, they kind of define terms in that day of sexual temptation. But it's worth knowing, if we're going to apply the warnings and wisdom that we're seeing in God's Word through Proverbs 5, 6, and 7 for that day, it's also worth applying to the relevant, equivalent temptations of our day. And like a father-son sex talk, we should engage with this on a family level and appreciate that really it's foolish not to talk about these things, as uncomfortable as it may be, which is why some of these father-son sex talks don't happen, right? So uh, sins of today that that are kind of our modern equivalents, because, look, they didn't have some of the things that we have today. Technology has developed. Our heart has never changed, but technology has. And so that forbidden woman, that concept can apply quite differently today. Um, They're talking only about, like, adultery and prostitution in that day, but there's a much broader sense of hookup culture today that is also dangerous, where that engagement on the sexual level can occur in such broader sense that we should be aware of and avoid with the same warnings in these words. Now, pornography is worth mentioning that there's no need to go out to prostitution and adultery when that level of sexual temptation is available wherever you are, right? In your very pocket, on any device. And so it's uh, worth mentioning that we should listen to this wisdom and warning and look honestly at where sin has targeted the beauty and power that God created in sex and has taken from God's design for our good and His glory and used it. Sin has used it in such things like pornography, which is why, as Evan mentioned, we protest the evils that occur in that whole area. But we should be warned in our own lives to avoid that sexual temptation and sin. Then there's the online dating world. Okay, this is another aspect where things can become very complicated and complex. That we should take the wisdom and discernment here, apply it to your context. Now, there's the whole industry, the entertainment industry, right? These Proverbs 5, 6, 7 describe how the forbidden woman, the tempting uh, sexual temptations, come out looking for you. She is right on the corner that she knows she's going to meet the people in the marketplace, dressed in a certain way, saying the right words, and all kinds of things, right, to seek out her victims. But, you know, the, the forbidden woman, to put it that way, in our entertainment industry is more intentionally and strategically present in our social media algorithms and the, the way that movies even engage with our eyes and our lives more intentional today in our technology than ever this woman was on the street corners of Proverbs 7, right? The social media algorithms and all kinds of the, the marketing and media that is actually designed to consume us, right? It's just as relevant today. So the depth and the spread of sin affects our daily lives. It's very important to our life and our faith that we acknowledge the reality of sexual temptation and sin. Okay? There are differences in technology between our world today and the world of that time, but our hearts have not changed. We are still prone in this area of life to experience sexual temptations, sexual sins, 
and such consequences. Um, so we should engage on this. Um, the voice of the, Prover- the father in these Proverbs warns his son not to think of himself as bigger than this, right? In Proverbs 7, at the end, he says, Many a victim has she laid low, and all her slain are a mighty throng. Her house is in the way to Sheol, going down to the chambers of death. I like how the message translated it. She runs a halfway house to hell. It's like she is just welcoming people down to death. And he warns his son, don't think you're above this. Don't think you're stronger than that. He says she has many victims of strong men. Um, So don't assume that you're stronger than these. Right? When we look at the reality of these temptations that we've just mentioned, don't think I'm bigger than that, I'm beyond that, I'm better than that. Um, don't fall into that trap. But maybe you've already been down that road. Maybe you've had an experience that seemed sweet like honey, but it turned bitter like poison. It started out smooth like oil, but it sh- turned sharp like a two-edged sword. Tried to play with fire, got burned. You thought you were using something and you found out that that thing was using you. You were caught, trapped, addicted. Like that picture we saw of Aaron, fallen and lost, trapped under the weight of a boulder. His right arm was pinned against that rock wall. I've experienced this. I've experienced this as a young boy growing up in the internet age, right? Came across the free range of the internet at an early age. It was a beautiful and dangerous landscape to explore with all the power of the internet search engine offering all the temptations that I could consume without the wisdom and the warnings that I needed to hear from the fatherly wisdom in these words. See, the powerful images that are out there correspond to a God-given instinct in myself. They hijacked my heart and my body and into dangers and consequences of such power outside of God's design for love and intimacy between a man and a woman in marriage. Aaron, in that picture, was stuck in that ravine all day, and all night, and the next day, and the next night, and the next day, and the next night, for five days, unable to change his past, himself, or his future. And for years, I too felt trapped, unable to change Myself, my past, or my future hope. I felt lost and alone and crushed under the weight and reality of these sins. And that might be your story, maybe not. That might not be your exact story, but what we learn from these Proverbs it reveals the effect of sin in which we are all totally fallen and lost and personally hopeless. We're all in the ditch. We're all in the dark. 
and we are unable on our own to reverse the temptations of sin or climb up from the pit and power of sexual sin. We're all in this together ever since the fall. Now, we can go to the next slide because the hope that we see here is that the gospel redeems us from sexual temptation and sin. (laughs) That is the good news, guys, that this is such a beautiful and powerful area of our lives, and yet sin has taken that and ruined so many things that we experience and were made to enjoy before God. But the gospel doesn't leave us there. Gospel comes for us. Jesus comes for us to rescue us. See, the wisdom of the Proverbs highlights the reality of the beauty and the warnings, uh, highlights the reality of the danger. Um, But it can be discouraging, right, to be told, don't fall in the ditch to someone who lives in the ditch, right? It's like, don't do this. Can you have told me that 15 years ago? Like, this does me no good right now to be told, don't do something that I've already done, that I have no power to change. But the Old Testament is not hopeless. It's not like these words in the Proverbs are hopeless. Here's what hope we see, interestingly enough. Proverbs 5, verses 21 through 23 says, A man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord, and he ponders all his paths. The iniquities of the wicked ensnare him, and he is held fast in the cords of his sin. He dies for lack of discipline, and because of his great folly, he is led astray. So he's describing, okay, we've all fallen in this area. But it says, a man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord, and he ponders all his paths. So as lost and alone as we might feel from those verses that the iniquities of the wicked ensnare him, held fast in the cords of sin, we still have verse 21 that says, a man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord. You are never off the grid. You are never lost and out of sight. He sees you, he knows you, and he loves you. And he ponders all your paths. He's the one who's designed the beautiful trail before us. He's the one who has our best interests in mind. In sin, we think we have our best interests in mind. But God is the one who ponders our paths. And it's not in some judgmental, gleeful way of like, when are they going to fall off? It's, no, pondering our paths to keep us, to keep us in his joy. Despite our sin, God sees you and knows you and loves you. And so what you and I have, though, as an advantage today in the year 2022 um, that we did not see very clearly in these Proverbs, which point us not to, not to this bar that's set to like, don't do these things, right, and you'll be righteous, but it says, well, I can't do these things. It's, it's meant to point us to faith in God. Not, to, not to, that we would avoid these things so perfectly that we become perfect, but that we, when we do fall in sin, turn in repentance with faith in God. Um, but what we get to see now is that that whole picture is not just a shadow, but the full picture of Christ. That God didn't just give us his word of wisdom, but he gave us the word of wisdom incarnate when God came down in Christ to walk with us on this level. In our darkness, Christ came, came down to us. The Son of God took on flesh, and he came to seek and save the lost and to free the captives from sin. We see 
that beautiful picture of God's salvation in the flesh when Jesus came to us. In fact, um, Jesus came not for the people who thought they could follow Proverbs 5, 6, and 7 perfectly and therefore wouldn't need God to come rescue them. Jesus came for the people who knew that they had messed up and not kept God's word of wisdom or listened to his warnings. God came for them in Christ. In fact, he told the self-righteous religious leaders, he said the prostitutes are actually going to get into the kingdom of God before you. That was an offensive thing to say, right? Because they actually recognized their need for me. What Jesus says. In fact, Jesus avoided sin perfectly out of his holy obedience to the Father, and he was still called a friend of sinners. He was, he, he was eating with sinners and tax collectors. When the prostitute came in to wash his feet, the religious leaders were like, what? Don't you know what this woman does? How, you should be shocked, right? But Jesus welcomes us in our sin and saves us from our sin. Um, the adulterous woman at the well was pardoned and redeemed from sexual sin by the power and grace of Jesus Christ. So he comes to, add a, to us in our worse and saves us. Whereas we've been trapped under the weight of the boulder of sin, unable to change anything about ourselves, Jesus came to take on the crushing weight of our sin and God's judgment on the cross. He was despised and rejected to die alone. And he's the one who took all this word of wisdom and guarded wisdom, knowledge, and discretion written on his heart, tied around his neck, written on his hands, and he suffered the penalty of wrath for the sins that you and I have done. He's the one that kept it perfectly but bore the penalty for our sins. And after dying on the cross, he rose from the grave, he ascended to the Father in heaven, and he sent the Holy Spirit, the Counselor, the Comforter, the Spirit of Wisdom. So now we don't just have the Word of Wisdom in the Proverbs or Wisdom incarnate in the flesh come down for us on the cross, but we have the Spirit of Wisdom in us today through faith in Jesus Christ. You and I by the sins and the consequences of a sin-fallen world and our own sinful nature. Apart from Christ, we're unable to do anything. Unable to free ourselves. Unable to save ourselves. We're trapped. Okay? But with the Holy Spirit, we actually are born again to a new identity. A new heart, soul, and body redeemed in Christ. Whereas we were lost, now we are found. Right? We are no longer defined by our sin and our past and our mistakes or our efforts. But we are redefined as followers of Christ who are filled not by our own power, but by the Holy Spirit's power to actually follow God's wisdom for sex by His design like we never could have before. His redemption reshapes our whole identity, it replaces our sin-fallen heart, and it reforms how we live in the bodies that we have. His redemption replaces our heart. And I'll close with this. as We apply God's wisdom for us today. 
through the new hope that we have in Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit. Um, when it comes to the battle of sin in the heart, religion does nothing to change us. Our best efforts cannot save us. Um, we need a new heart. Not just a morally constrained heart, but a spiritually transformed heart. That's what we have in the Holy Spirit. Um, Proverbs 5, 6, and 7 talk all about the heart. It actually tells us that the, the, the nature of sexual temptation isn't just with our body, but it starts with our heart. Proverbs 5.12 says, uh, the voice of regret says, I hated discipline and my heart despised reproof. 6.21, he's instructed to bind this wisdom on your heart. And Proverbs 7.3 says, bind them on your fingers and write them on the tablet of your heart. And Proverbs 6.25 says, do not desire her beauty in your heart. Right? And Jesus reiterates this in much the same way. Um, he says, you've, you've read in the, in the Ten Commandments, you've read in Proverbs 5, 6, and 7, not to commit adultery. But you know what he told the religious leaders? I tell you, all who look at a woman with lustful intent have committed adultery in their heart. So you thought by going, avoiding that street corner, by going away from the prostitute's house, that you have succeeded in righteousness. But no, your heart has still sinned. So we need a new heart. And King David, king of God's people in Israel, knew this very well when he fell into sexual temptation and sin. Proverbs 51 is his prayer of confession where he says, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. But he says, behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. He says later, let the bones that you have broken rejoice and create in me a clean heart, O God. Paul Tripp talks about that verse with the bones that you have broken rejoice. And I wondered too, like, what does that mean? How can we rejoice that our bones are broken? Well, Paul Tripp, an author and counselor, says, that God, you care enough to give me what I need, not what I want. You care enough to break my bones in order to recapture my heart. And when we're crushed in sin, like David was in Psalm 51, we experience the brokenness, the reality of our brokenness, where then we can turn to God in faith and be healed with a clean heart. That's where we experience freedom. Replaces our heart, but it reforms our identity and our body, how we live it out now, okay? Because we know sexual temptation and sin is a matter of our heart, but also of how we steward our bodies, the way that God has created us in His image and likeness. We, through the gospel, have a new sense of who we are as spiritual beings, eternal spiritual beings created in the image of God, but embodied in this world. Paul says this, I've been crucified with Christ. This old thing, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live. I don't even live anymore. He says it's Christ who lives in me. The life that I now live in the flesh, in whatever area of life that is, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. He, when he struggled with the consequences, the pain, the regret in life, which we don't know exactly what he's 
talking about when he asked God to remove this thorn in his flesh. You know what he says? God's grace is sufficient for you. His power is made perfect in weakness. So you know what? Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Now, we can look at ourselves and each other and our world through a new lens that we are created in God's image and likeness and in Christ. We've been redeemed so that in our bodies, we can see each other with a pure love that we have only in God. We can see ourselves as stewards of this body that God has given us for our good and His glory. And that might mean giving up certain freedoms that the world would say, hey, come and find freedom with me. right? Come and find freedom in this. But we know from the wisdom and warnings here that they offer freedom but deliver death. It might mean for us giving up these lowercase f freedoms to really enjoy the uppercase, the capital F freedoms of love and marriage, right? Um, so how, does, how might this affect your social media use? We know that sexual temptation is very prevalent in the social media algorithms and marketing of today. Well, how might we give up the lowercase freedoms that I have the freedom to use Instagram as much as TikTok as much as I want. I have the freedom to do these. It's not a, those apps aren't a sin. But I'm giving up those lowercase freedoms to enjoy the capital freedom that I have with my wife in marriage. Because I don't want, I know the temptations that will come and I don't want that. I have the freedom not to, rather. How does that affect the dating apps that you use? How does it affect your whole view of dating today? The TV that you purchase. Uh, well, honestly, we had to sell our TV. We had to get rid of our TV because the, it keeps showing like highlight reels of movies that are not good for our children to be seeing. How do we get rid of this stuff at a loss? Sometimes boast in the weakness that we have. Um, what does this mean for um, parental control uh, settings and screen accountability in our homes and in our, our own lives, right? What does this mean for conversations in your family and in your relationship? Where do we need to boast in our weakness that we may experience the power of freedom in Christ? Because the gospel redeems us from temptation and sin, we are now free, more free than ever before. To enjoy the beauty and power of God's wisdom for our lives. So let's respond to God with lives of freedom and worship to God by His grace and for His glory today. Let me pray. Father God, I thank You, uh, praise You, God, that You have created us in Your image and that part of that life is uh, this beautiful aspect of marriage where we get to experience the beauty and power of sex between a man and a woman. And uh, you made that wonderfully. And God, we confess right now that sin has affected us all. It's affected our, our bodies, our lives, our marriage, our relationships. And we profess, Jesus, that we need you to come and to rescue us, to save us. Because we can never change ourselves. But you can change our heart. Like David prayed, give us a clean heart, O Lord. Renew a right spirit within me. 
I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would give us that strength and power today uh, that we would not uh, settle for the lesser temptations because we're content to enjoy you, God. The love that you provide that is unmatched anywhere else. No one has to offer, God, what you have to offer for us. And uh, give us the freedom, God, that we have in you. Help us to be who you've made us to be, that we would live in holiness to you um, by your power. Um, I pray this in your name, Jesus, who came for us and died for us. Amen. So we respond to God's word now in our order of worship through several different ways. Uh, God's word is living and active. It speaks to us today. And so I want to tell you to read Proverbs 5, 6, 7 like we couldn't do today in the time that we have, but that you can read and meditate on the words that this fatherly wisdom tells us to bind them on our hearts, right? But if you are hearing from God here as we uh, uh, open up his word before us, then bring that into conversation. Share that with us, me, Evan, um, any of us today to hear from your pastors and Stephen here, um, but also amongst yourselves to um, bring this conversation to the dinner table and on the ride home. Um, and, and if you need any help in this whole area of sexual temptation and sin, we have men's recovery groups, we have women's discussion groups, we have biblical counseling um, and we have pastors right here. You can ask more about my story or our lives and how we've experienced freedom from these things. Um, so keep the conversation going. 